What's good, College Soccer Nation? This is Matt Mott, head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners. I'm joined with our normal cast of characters. Brian Lee from the Rice Owls is with us, and uh, and Robbie Church from the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, we'll be along here shortly with Chris Henderson from the Woso Independent. Uh, excited to chat with him and get some of his predictions and all things women's soccer as we are in the week of when uh, the games are starting. So taking some time out of both all of our uh, busy um, preseason and uh, and talk a little bit college soccer nation. I keep getting requests. Can you do another pod? So here we are. Hope it's a good one. Brian, how you doing? What's up? You know, cast of characters. The lead character is Boomer Sooner nowadays. <laughs> Enjoy it every week. <laughs> so uh, how's, how is preseason going for the Rice Owls? It's going. Every preseason different. And this year we happen to have maybe 15 new players, four grad transfers, a bunch of freshmen, graduated a ton of, of kids who maybe two Hall of Famers and a former All-American. So we've got a lot of work to do, but it's a nice process. Every year is different. Awesome. Robbie, how about to give us an update from Duke camp? Yeah, no, things things are well. I just got out of the Duke IT department for about thirty minutes over here to get on this, <laughs> to get on this podcast. But uh, I'll uh, I'll set. Uh, great, you know, we um, first scrimmage under the belt. Play played fairly well. Um, some really good bright spots. But a little bit like Brian, we have eleven new players on our roster, which is a is a huge number for us. Three transfers, which we have never had before. So we're trying to put everybody in. But um, we saw a lot of things that we took from the training field into the game on uh, on Monday. Um, and then we play at South Carolina tomorrow night. So we're looking forward to playing there. All right. Well, Robbie just let the cat out of the bag. We're recruiting this. We're recording this before we send it out. But it's it's all good <laughs> to send it out next week. Um, you guys, 11. Oh, whoop-de-doo. Brian, what did you have? Five? How about 27 new players that you've never seen play? How's that sound? Right? Where we're just here in Oklahoma, we are uh we are getting to know each other, right? I think I got all the names down now, so that's a positive. Um but it's uh yeah, it's it's been wild, right? I mean, it was very similar when I took over at Ole Miss um 13 years ago. I didn't know any of the players as we went into preseason, very similar to this one. But it's been exciting, fun. Like Brian said, it's it's a different every year. It's a challenge, but it's great. It's great that we're back. You know, we're out there sweating. But where else would you rather be than on those training grounds, getting ready for the games? And as we go in the end of the week, we we bring in um, who I think is one of the forefront knowledgeable guys in in women's soccer as a whole, not just college, but in the NWSL and World Cup and the pros and you name it. He does it all. He spends unbelievable time getting ready. So. From the Woso Independent, we have Chris Henderson joining College Soccer Nation, as we do, you know, usually a couple times a year. He does such a good job for us. And, you know, I'm texting him and, and emailing him, asking about RPIs and, and all this stuff through the year. And he's just a great, uh, great resource for our, our sport. And we appreciate everything he does. And if you are not following him, him on Twitter and you're interested at all in women's soccer, you're missing the boat. So, Chris, welcome to College Soccer Nation. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, great. Well, listen, we're going to jump right to it. I know everybody's time is valuable. Certainly yours is as, as we are. Um, and what we want to do is just we we talk a lot about the conference or the Power Nine uh, in women's soccer. And, and we're going to go through kind of each conference and give us a little overview, maybe the top three that you see early on in, 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 um, in you know, 
preseason or or you know projections and uh, and talk about those a little bit and then maybe a sleeper out there that could maybe make some noise in it obviously you do great amount of work in in preparation and so let's just talk a little bit about each each league and we'll start out with a big powerful almighty ACC <laughs> oh yeah so the yeah. ACC is I mean it's basically the best women's soccer conference in the country it's not going to change again this year um I don't think it's going to be a year for surprises really I think a lot of I think I, I think there some teams are really taking some big losses obviously Duke losing Michelle Cooper but also lots of other you know senior players as well Notre Dame loses Corbin Albert um you know so I think you know there's some big losses to overcome um I think if you're looking for a top three for me um I think Florida State spoiler alert Florida State right now is my overall number one you know in the country I think it's really interesting with Florida State right now because it seems like they've kind of taken a different tact recruiting whereas used to be or like in previous years it was a lot of big name internationals coming in but I think I've got them with my number one rated transfer class this year um I think Taylor Huff is going to have a huge impact for them right away uh, but Claire, Claire Rain, Lily Farkas are also pretty highly rated, you know, in, in my system. So I think they're going to step in um, with an already very talented team. Um, you know, I think they just they're loaded all over the place. And I think they've got, in my opinion, a, a fewer questions than some of the other teams. Um, you know, and I think they're going to be in the mix for the national title again. Uh, North Carolina, you know, what do you say? They're always going to be near the top. Um Great recruiting class once again. I think really the key for them is, is Ali Sentner going to put together a full season of you know the form she kind of showed towards the end of the season where she looked like one of the best players in the country. Um, if she can do that, they've got enough talent around her to kind of um, make a big run for the national title. Uh, and then Virginia, you know, again they just keep cranking out talent year after year after year. Um, I think they're just loaded everywhere again. Um, you know, and, and they've got, you know, how do you compensate for the loss of Alexis Spanstra and some of the other players? So, you know, are they going to be able to score enough goals? But I think they've got one of the best players in the country, Leah Godfrey, who's going to be in the conversation for top pick overall whenever she comes out for the NWSL draft. Um, I think they're a little bit behind, you know, North Carolina and Florida State at this point, but I still think they they should be in a great position to get to the final four and contend for a national championship. Uh, so those are my top three sleepers. Yeah. I really don't know if there's kind of a sleeper in the ACC just because it, it's, you know, everybody's for the most part is going to be really good. Um, you know, I will say my four five and six right now are Notre Dame, Clemson and Pittsburgh. Um, I think Pittsburgh may be the team that could surprise a couple people just because um, it really depends on Amanda West staying healthy. Uh, sure. If she's healthy, healthy though, um, I think they've got a big shot of finishing top five in the ACC and making a lot of noise. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to say Duke. I'm taking Duke as my sleeper. Going with Duke. Chris, let me ask you a quick question <laughs> about the ACC. Do you see any of the the teams that have been in the bottom in the last few years kind of mimicking Pitt and coming up? Um, you know, whether it's Boston College, Syracuse, Miami, any of them. Do you see any light at the end of the tunnel? No. Um, but you know, I think the one team that may may have a slight chance of kind of moving up it may be Miami, just because Melissa Dagenet is a great keeper. 
Um, I think, you know, in terms of post shot XG versus goals conceded, she's one, she was one of the best in the country last year. Um, so I think, you know, if she gets on a hot streak, you know, and they ride her to some good results, I think they may be able to move up slightly. Um, but they've got to get much better on offense, you know, to really kind of take that next step. But if you're asking me, you know, out of that bottom three or four, who has a chance to make a, a step up? I think Miami would be my pick. Okay. Gotcha. Right. Interesting. Uh, let's keep going. Let's go into the mighty Big Ten. What do you like? All right. Um, Big Ten, I don't think there's going to be any surprises in this league. I think for me, it's kind of the big three of Rutgers, Penn State, and Wisconsin. Um, you know, you guys kind of joke on the podcast, you know, who is Rutgers? <laughs> um, you know, all the time because they're a little yeah. inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, but I think they're going to be really good this year. I think mm-hmm. they're kind of almost a depth of a thousand cuts team. I don't know if they have a first round pick, you know, in the NWSL on their roster, but they've got a lot of second and third round picks. They are stacked with talent. They're really, really deep. Um, I just think, you know, and, and they bring a lot of people back. So I think, you know, it's a long season. You got to have depth to survive. And I think with that experience, with that depth and good coaching too, you know, they are yeah, they're always, you know, in contention. Um, I think the one question with them that I think maybe has me a little, a little, um, as me have them a little bit below Florida state, UCLA, UCLA, North Carolina, et cetera, is, you know, what are they going to be like in goal? Cause they lose Megan McClelland, who was just so solid for them for so many years. You know, if they can come in and replace her, I think they have a great chance to get to the final four it's just a matter of finding that goalkeeper that can kind of match the level of play the last few goalkeepers they've had. The other two teams, um, I'm spotlighting Penn State and Wisconsin. Um, you know, Penn State, uh, they're always in this position. They're always, you know, contending for league championships. Great shot at getting to the Final Four again. What's new? Um, you know, they they have a player that they're adding that's really interesting, Rebecca Cook, because she was – you know, a goal scoring phenomenon at Quinnipiac. Um, And, you know, she comes in and I think she's, she's not in the position where she has to score like 15 or 20 goals here. If she hits double digits, I mean, Penn state's got enough around her that I think they're going to be really, really strong. Um, You know, I think the big question with them is, you know, how do they take that step to the next level in terms of, well, they always win a couple of games in the NCAA tournament you know, what can they do to kind of win a couple more and get to the final four again? Uh, but overall, really solid. You know, I'm, I'm expecting them to, again, contend for Big Ten championship. And then Wisconsin, um, you know, I think a lot of people are sleeping on Wisconsin. They just seem to be a team that 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 stacks up, you know, pretty solid results year after year. Uh, they have Emma Jaskaniak, midfielder, who I think is really underrated um, and who's been doing a lot of great things for them. Um, you know, and I think, you know, they're almost kind of like Rutgers a little bit below that level though, and that they don't have a lot of household names, but they're really solid all over the place. And I think, you know, I think they're for me a solid, you know, number three kind of in that position. Um, you know, if you're talking about big three, you want to sleep over the big 10? Yeah, absolutely. All right. My sleeper for the big 10 is Nebraska. Um, you know, they, if I've got my stats right, I think they bring back all 11 of their starters, which immediately yep. puts them in, in pretty good shape. Um, you know, and they, they've got, they've got a pretty good, you know, lineup of attacking talent. Um, you know, I'm trying to find, you know, who exactly I've got my highest rated attacking player with Nebraska. Um, Weber's pretty good. Yeah. Sarah Weber. 
Yeah. Who yeah. I was going after Sarah Weber, yeah. Eleanor Dale. Um, yeah. you know, they're really good in the attack. One thing I want to look at though, is, you know, do they have the defense to kind of match that top three there? If they do, I think, you know, they could be in that position. I'm not sure if they, they're going to win over the course of a, of a 10 or 11 game league season, but you get to the big 10 tournament. I think they're a team that can do a lot of damage. Um, so I think if you're looking for a sleeper in the big 10, Nebraska is the team I would look at. Yeah, totally agree. Chris, we play playing Friday. Matt, can I jump in? A couple <laughs> yeah, questions. please do. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I've got two questions. I think you're exactly right. I'm really interested to see what Rebecca Cook does um, going to Penn State. How does that translate when she was playing Quinnipiac? And, you know, if she scores goals, I think you're exactly right. If she can get just double digit goals, you know, not the, the high numbers that she did. Um, I think that's going to be a big, big lift for Penn State. And I think that will put them in the upper echelon, too. Um, so it'll be interesting to follow her and see how see if she can make that jump to such a powerful team and play in a powerful conference too. And then my second question too is how my boy Irwin going to do? How's Indiana? How's Indiana going to do? All right. So um, spoiler alert, if you've been following me on, on Twitter, I've been posting projections. I got them in 10th. Um, you know, I, I don't think the gap between them and kind of the middle of the pack in the big 10, you know, I don't think it's a huge gap. So if they finish like fifth or sixth, I'm not going to be surprised. I think they're kind of in that cluster of teams. I think, um, you know, they've got Jamie Gerstenberg, who is phenomenal goalkeeper. Um, you know, I think if you were looking at the top five, top 10 goalkeepers in the NCAA, she's definitely up there. Big question with them is who's going to score? Um, you know, I think we made the joke last year that they they had so many like zero zero games or, you know, they had great defense, but they weren't able to kind of score goals. I think that's the thing that's holding them back. I think defensively, they're going to be okay. It's just, can they get somebody to approach, I mean, like even eight or 10 goals. So they have a leading score that gets to eight or 10 goals. I think they're going to be okay. And the thing is, if you're in the middle of the Big Ten, you're going to be in contention for an NCAA tournament spot, no matter what, pretty much. For sure. Good. Thank you. Love it. Chris, one uh, quick one for you. Yeah. When the Big Ten expands, the four teams that are coming, where is it going to rank? 2024-25 in the women's college soccer conferences. What's your first thought? Second or third. I mean, I don't think anybody's displaced in the ACC. Um, you know, I think UC, USC and UCLA are, are you know, huge additions. Um, I think the thing is, you've had Oregon and Washington. Washington, you know, they're, they're kind of a boom or bust team. And I think, you know, right now, if you've been, if you've been looking at my projectors for the Pac-12, you know, they're kind of not in a boom cycle. this year. Um, and I think the thing with Oregon is, you know, they, they're seemingly a school with a lot of potential. They're in, a, in an area where it's rich with, you know, soccer playing talent. It's just, they never really put it together. Um, so I think it's going to be enough to raise the big 10. I think it's them and the SEC are kind of maybe like fighting head to head for that second spot. Uh, but I still think they're going to be a little ways off from the ACC. Yeah. If the Oklahoma coach is any good, that'll help the SEC. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then they're in big trouble. Big trouble. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's keep it rolling. Let's uh, let's go over to uh, – let's see. We'll uh, we'll go SEC. Yeah, let's do the SEC. Okay. So the SEC, um, you know, I think – I think my overall thought with the SEC is, you know, I hope everybody enjoyed kind of, uh, you know, Arkansas not pummeling everyone last year, even though they were really good, because I think it's going to be normal service again this year. <laughs> they are just, I mean, they are absolutely stacked, uh, you know, on offense. Um, you know, they got Ava Tankersley, um, Anna Potagil, um, 
you know, and, and many, many others. I think, you know, last year was kind of the year where they were reloading. Uh, this year, I think they're, the, I don't think they're in front by a huge margin, but I think, um, you know, for me, they're a clear number one in the SEC. My other two, um, I have Georgia at number two. Um, and this is kind of the Coy Bethune effect. Um, I think anytime you're adding a player that's going to be, you know, in the discussion for a number one pick overall in the NWSL draft, I think that's a huge benefit, obviously. Um, you know, I thought recruiting class, pretty solid. I think, I think that one of the big questions is like, how do you replace somebody like Cecily Stout on the back line? Um, I think offensively, you know, the thing that George has been missing for a while is somebody that can grab, you know, 10 to 15 goals. I mean, they've had it sporadically, but I think Corey Bethune's going to take that offense to a whole nother level. Um, but I think overall, George is probably going to surprise. People. And I think a lot of people are going to be surprised at where they kind of rank when I go over like everybody overall, you know, in the power or in the top five conferences um, next week or this week when this is coming out. Um, and then yeah. Alabama, I think Alabama is going to be good. I think they're going to be down from last year, though. I mean, how can you not be down? You're losing your goalkeeper. Sure. You're losing basically a ton of offense. Uh, but they still got talent. They've still got Felicia Knox in midfield, uh, a player that I thought was unbelievable last year. You know, one of the top five, top 10 players in the NCAA. Uh, I think that really the big thing with them is, you know, can Gianna Paul really kind of take that next step into being um, somebody that scores double digit goals? If she is, I think Alabama is going to be right in the mix again. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are my top three, uh, yeah. but it's pretty close overall in the SEC. Um, you want a sleeper, correct? Yep. This is kind of tough. I, I mean, I don't think there's really kind of a sleeper in the SEC. I don't think there's a team that's going to be kind of up there that, that you don't expect to be up there. Um, I mean, I guess the closest you might get is Vanderbilt, like at seventh. Um you know, I, I think I think Vanderbilt's a team that really peaks, you know, kind of towards the end of the season. So I think, you know, they may finish like between like fifth or seventh, but at the same time, you know, they're gonna, always going to be very competitive in Pensacola in the SEC tournaments. Um, but I mean, overall, I think if you look at my projections, I think there's nothing really super, super surprising. I think, you know, some people may say, well, Kentucky might, I think I've got Kentucky like eighth. Um you know, I think they've, they've got – Kentucky's got a really interesting group of transfers coming in. Mm -hmm. I think my question is, are they going to be able to adapt to, like, SEC physicality, speed, et cetera? Um, and then, you know, are Hannah Richardson and Jordan Rhodes, are they going to be, you know – I think they were a little bit down last year as compared to previous years. They can get back to where they were before. Um, I think Kentucky has a real shot at making the SEC tournament. Um but I mean, otherwise, I think, you know, the SEC, I don't think there's really any huge surprises in kind of my projections. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like what, you, um, what about the Aggies? Are they ready to jump back up or you think they're going to stick in that same kind of middle middle area? They're a really interesting team because I, th I think one of the things that really kind of surprised me the SEC is that everybody loses a lot of starters. I mean, if you look at, I think the way I looked at it, is that um, everybody except for A&M, Missouri, and Florida, you know, is losing at least four starters. And A&M is only losing two. Um, you know, you're adding Sam Smith from Boston College, who I think 
who I think was really, really undervalued just because she was playing on a team where she was basically the the attacking threat. Uh, I think if you get her onto Texas A&M and surround her with complimentary, complimentary pieces, I think um, I think she can excel. Um, but, you know, I, I'm still waiting for a couple other players to kind of make that next leap up. Uh, to me, they're a team with, you know, a lot of very good players, but, you know, do they have somebody on that team, the level of Corey Bethune at Georgia? Do they have somebody on the team, the level of Felicia Knox at Alabama? I think they're missing that one kind of superstar that's going to take them, you know, to the top of the SEC table. If somebody like that emerges this year, then yeah, I think they can compete for a title, but it's just yeah. a matter of it happening. The only thing I'd argue with you on is, is, and again, I get, you get, you have your, your, you know, statistics that you use in your, your program, but it's hard to not see South Carolina in the top three and you just have to keep doing it until they're not there because every year they show up and every single year, I feel like they're one of the top two if they're not winning it. So but uh, I agree with you on Arkansas. Arkansas is absolutely loaded. Absolutely loaded. I've yeah. got yeah. Uh, Chris, quick, quick question about Arkansas. Do you think they can play with Florida State, North Carolina? Are they that good? Are you talking that good that they're going to be at the top of the league with Florida State, North Carolina, Rutgers out of the Big Ten? No, um, I think I think they're I think they're basically one step beyond. I think they're kind of in that second tier of teams that. If everything breaks correctly or everything breaks right for them, I think they could end up in the final four. Um, but I still think they're a level below kind of the upper echelon, um, you know, of, of college soccer this year. Yeah. Gotcha. Good. Thank you. That's an interesting point, Chris, on your the turnover in the SEC and not many teams with most of the teams losing so many players. That probably explains these exhibition results where they're trying to find their way on the team because the, the league has really struggled bottom line wise looking at scores so far what do you yeah, I mean that, the, the thing too, I, was the, I was looking at the Georgia Furman box score and I think Georgia you know they played a lot of players um you know who may not have been probably projected to be in the starting lineup um you know I don't think Coy Bethune played I don't think Jordan Brown played in goal so I think it's still yeah. an adjustment procedure um or, or adjustment process but I'm going to be really interested to see um non-conference results because you know with so many starters leaving you know that may be it may be prone to seeing some of these teams upset or struggle a little bit in non-conference where they're kind of building that chemistry yeah yeah for sure and everyone who's played uh you use the word pummeling with arkansas they used to pummel the sec win lose or draw they pummel you <laughs> if the game ends, you feel pummeled if you played against what, them. what you don't want to do is you don't want that sec office to send you the schedule and see that you're playing at Arkansas on a Thursday night at 7 <laughs> o'clock. That is the place you do not want to be, I promise. All right, let's keep rolling. Uh, let's go to the Pac-12. All right, uh, for what's probably going to be the final season in the Pac-12. Yes, um, yes. That's another story entirely. Um, <laughs> so, very, very lucky. Uh, Cal posted their roster last night, so I was able mm -hmm. to crank these projections out. Um, I think it's it's almost kind of really easy, you know, with the Pac-12. I think you've got kind of three different tiers. Um, I think UCLA and Stanford are, are kind of at the top. No no real surprise there. I think UCLA um, kind of replaced the goalkeeper, obviously. Um, you know, I think that's their biggest question, but like everywhere else, they're absolutely loaded. Um, you know, we, we always talk about how, you know, it's difficult to close to impossible to repeat as champions, uh, but I think UCLA has got a pretty good shot this year at kind of going back to back. 
Uh, I think Stanford, I think Stanford's really undervalued right now. The one thing I would say about Stanford is, you know, you got to keep in mind, they really didn't play with Ali Montoya for like the end portion of last season. And Andrea Kitahata, you know, did not play uh, for almost the entire year either. Uh, if you add those two players into everybody that's coming back, um, yes, I know a lot of people are kind of, you know, wringing their hands about some of the players that have gone pro instead of going to Stanford, you know, in the last few years they're still bringing in some really good recruits. So I think they've got a great shot at, you know, winning a national title. They're loaded everywhere. Um, you know, I don't really see any huge weaknesses, you know, they may have. Um, so those are the clear top two. Uh, I still have UCLA, maybe just to take ahead. Um, and then, you know, you, you said top three, I'm going to go top four, just because I think USC yeah. and Washington state are just really, really, you know, close together. I think they're not separated by more than a, a point or two in my um, projections. Uh, USC, I think the big thing with them is consistency. Um, you know, last year, you know, it, it was a weird situation where they they could beat UCLA, but they lost to Purdue and then they lost to UC Irvine um, eventually in the tournament. So are they going to be more consistent? How do you replace Corey Bethune? Uh, um, you know, how do you replace your goals? They still got Simone Jackson. Uh, you know, they still got Simi Wujo, you know, in midfield. So they've got talent. It's just, you know, are they going to be able to be more consistent? Um, they get some breakout players to kind of contend with the top two. Uh, Washington State, I think, um, I think this is a really a frustrating thing with kind of realignments in, in terms of conferences because Washington State, you know, they've done an amazing job of building that program up. Um, you know, Margie Detrizio, um, remember that name. I think she's going to be valued in the NWSL draft because she was outstanding last year for Washington State. Uh, you know, obviously Nadia Cooper and goal, you know, outstanding. Um, I think they've, I don't think they're going to challenge for a, a Pac-12 title, but I think, you know, if you're looking at a Pac-12 school that's maybe flying under the radar that could win a couple of games in the NCAA tournament, it's Washington State. Uh, sleepers. Um, it's kind of tough because, like, there's a pretty big drop between four and everybody else. You know, if you looked at the graph that I posted on Twitter, it's a pretty hard drop. And I think if we end up in a situation where only four Pac-12 teams make the NCAA tournament, you know, I'm not going to be super surprised. I think Cal's kind of in that limbo. Um, great recruiting class coming in with Cal. It's just that they lost so much talent over the over the last season. Um, I mean, they lost just a ton of talent, and it's really kind of a question of, you know, yeah, you've got a great recruiting class coming in, but is all of that going to gel in time for you to make a run in the NCAA tournament? Um, and then – you know, Arizona, Utah, Colorado, Arizona State, they're all kind of in that, they're all kind of in that middle tier where, yes, they're going to be competitive, but we know the RPI doesn't super value like the Western Coast teams all that much. So is anybody going to be able to emerge from that pack? Um, you know, I think Arizona, along with Cal, is kind of the best of the rest. But I think if you're looking at the top four, they're just a ways ahead of like everybody else in the conference right now. Gotcha. Um, Robbie had to sign off. He's headed out for a uh, for an exhibition game, so we'll miss him. But um, I think it's good. Brian, any questions on Pac-12? Yeah, just from the you know that that second tier group of teams, Colorado always seems so talented. Um, you know, Oregon has always seemed so talented. What what do you think's been kind of missing from those teams making the jump? Well, I think the thing with Colorado. Um... I think a lot of it is scheduling. You know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's a situation where they're lacking talent. I just think 
and, and and some of this is obviously geographically bound where you know you may have only a certain amount of budget to you know pay for road games or you know nobody wants to fly in uh, but it seems like if you look at kind of their non-conference schedule every year they're kind of towards the tail end of of the pac-12 Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the solution to that is. It may change when they go to the Big 12. You know, all of a sudden they may have a little more leeway in terms of scheduling, whatever. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's a talent thing. I just think, you know, the schedule has kind of worked against them. With Oregon, um, we could probably spend like 30 minutes dissecting the problems with Oregon. One of the things that, that I think is they struggle with, I think it's the same problem Boston College has. Nobody wants to play on turf. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think anybody like, you know, if you're on the West Coast, like, do you want to play on turf like at a Pac-12 school? And the answer is probably not. So I think that hurts recruiting. Um, but, you know, beyond that, like, I, I think the thing that I noticed is that they just weren't scoring goals. And it's kind of confounding because they had a lot of talent last year. Yes, a lot of that talent was injured, but, you know, it, it just doesn't seem to gel. And the thing that, that I worry about this year is that they lose a lot of that talent, especially with Leah Freeman going to Duke. I think she really bailed them out the last year because she was outstanding in terms of goalkeeping statistics. Uh, they lose, like, you know, they lose Zoe Hausenauer, they lose Shai Cortez, you know, they lose Koi Soto, um, a lot of players that are, you know, playing professionally now. So I don't know how well they're going to adapt. Uh, and I don't know how well they're going to adapt in the, in, in, in the Big Ten either because, you know, recruiting is probably going to be a lot more difficult because people don't want to, you know, be chained to a suitcase and living out of an airport. Um, so they're kind of at a crossroads right now. All right. Love it. All right. Let's go to the, you know, most important conference, Brian, of course, the Big 12. <laughs> At least for one more year. <laughs> All right. So um, Big 12, let me, let me preface this by saying that um, you know, with the Big 12, the thing is, you know, whenever I have teams move up a tier kind of in my in my rankings and even though we talk about the Big Nine, I usually separate it from the Power Five traditionally from yeah. the other four. Um, that we kind of scoop in the big in kind of the Power Nine conferences. Um, so whenever a team moves up kind of one of those tiers, I usually ascribe like a little penalty to them just because, you know, a little bit harder in competition. Um, I will say if I didn't have the penalties on, um, you know, BYU would be clearly number one. Um, and BYU is kind of a difficult situation just because I think, you know, they're really kind of a power five team, you know, that we're playing in a conference that we're, we're mostly not power five teams. Uh, I think they bring like all 11 starters back. Um, I think, you know, in, in terms of overall talent, you know, I would not be surprised if they win the Big 12. Um, at the same time, though, you know, moving to a new conference is really difficult. You know, more travel, unfamiliar opponents. So, you know, I would say their range is between like one and four. Um, and then the other title challengers, I think, you know, this may be one of the most exciting title races, you know, in the country. I have Texas Tech, West Virginia, and Texas. I think they were separated in my projections by um, like, I think 1.6 points, um, which basically says, you know, it, it's, it's a coin toss or like rolling a three-sided die, um, you know, as I kind of put it on, on Twitter. Um, Texas for me, they're interesting because I think they're really top heavy. I think they've got like five, you know, players that are going to be, you know, in contention for, you know, first or second round draft picks. Uh, the question is, you know, do they have enough depth? Um they're losing Savannah Madden in goal. You know, you're, you're putting the justice in goal. 
if she plays her potential, it's fine. But, you know, do they have the depth kind of to make a long run, you know, in the NCAA tournament? Because that's what they're going after. You know, you don't know how many more seasons you're going to get out of, um, you know, Byers, Missimo, et cetera. So they're, they're, they've got to be any kind this year. West Virginia, um, you know, I think, you know, they were down just a tiny bit for a few years, but I think they're back now. Um, you know, I think they're another team that I think has a lot of players that are kind of going under the radar. Um, I really like Julianne Valorand, um, who can play like as a fullback or a forward. I like Maya McCutcheon, um, you know, another player who can play in the midfield. Kaza Massey's pretty good in goal. Um, I think they're just solid all around. And then Texas Tech, um, interesting team. You know, they... It seems like, you know, my projections always smile on them. Uh, they haven't really been able to put it together, like, in, in total over the past few years. But I think this is their strongest team they've had in a while. Um, you know, I, I think Macy Blackburn didn't play all that much last year. Um, I don't know if he played at all, but um, was, was injured. But if she's back, their defense is going to be really good. They've got Hannah Anderson, one of the best center backs in the country. Um, it's just a question of do they have the offense to kind of keep up with the other big guns in the Big 12? Uh, you know, if they do get a decent amount of scoring, I think they're in that title mix as well. But to me, you know, if you're looking for a, a title race that I think is going to be pretty, pretty close and pretty exciting, I think the Big 12 is definitely one to look at. Love it. Sleeper? Uh, I mean, you know, I think, you know, it's kind of difficult because a, a lot of the teams you would normally look at, like TCU and Oklahoma yeah. State, just get rocked, uh, you know, by attrition. I think Oklahoma State loses like seven starters. TCU loses five. Um, I don't know if they're a super sleeper, but I think of the teams other than BYU that's coming in, I think UCF is probably the best positioned. Um, you know, I don't think they're going to be challenging for a title, but, you know, I think I think they've got every shot of competing for an NCAA tournament berth. I think they're going to be dangerous if they make the Big 12 tournaments. Um, but in terms of in terms of sleepers, they're probably it. I think Cincinnati is going to be okay as well. Um, but it's going to be super unpredictable just because you don't know what you're kind of getting with those teams coming in. Yeah, totally agree. The uh, the TCU, I mean, I just feel like they always figure it out. Um, but they'll be interesting. You're, you're right; they lost a lot of lot of good players, no doubt about it. Anything on the Big Twelve, Brian? You good? I uh, know. I just find it interesting, Chris. I don't know. Have you noticed anything on like home results there? Because there's so many. When you add those new teams, Central Florida's got a great home venue and atmosphere. BYU has the best. Matt, I think you'd probably agree. Is that the best atmosphere in college women's Absolutely. soccer? Absolutely, yeah. I think in hardest place to play, you're at altitude, and Houston's got a decent setup, and Cincinnati, that that turf that got installed in 1971 is pretty hard to go play a game on. Um, that That's what's going to be interesting about that the expansion in that league to me. And TCU gets great crowds. Um Oklahoma State might have the nicest facility in the country. It's in the running. Uh, in you know, Lubbock, so hard to get to to start with. The home field advantage in that in the new Big 12 would seem to be huge to me. Is there anything to back that up, Chris, or is or am I just talking about the places they play? I mean, I haven't I haven't really looked at it like home field advantage. Uh, you know, but I mean anecdotally, BYU, everybody knows it's one of the toughest places to play. I think the thing that really it's going to be really interesting is, is the increased travel too, um, because, you know, places like UCF and Cincinnati, you know, they're not super close to some of these other places. So I think mm -hmm. I, this is where I, I think teams like, you know, Texas could be in a little bit of trouble just because I don't, I'm not sure they have like the depth um, that some of the other contenders have is, you know, you're going to have to have a deep bench and a lot of legs, you know, if you want to win the title this year, just because there's going to be so much, you know, in terms of air travel, 
uh, long bus rides just with how spread out the conference is. No doubt about it. All right, let's keep it rolling. How about uh, let's head over to the Big East? Big East. Um, I think the Big East is, you know, I think I'm not sure there's going to be a lot of drama in the Big East. I think, I think, um, you know, if you looked at the chart I kind of did with my projections, I think, I think I, I posted Georgetown almost broke the broke kind of the scale this year just because they're so much better than everybody else. Uh, they are absolutely loaded this year. Uh, you know, they, and I think that one of the things they do really well is, uh, you know, I call them grad transfer you just because it always seems like they bring in two or three players, um, you know, out of the transfer portal, uh, going to grad school for a year or two. Yeah. Uh, I think the player to look at this year with Georgetown is Allie Winstanley. Uh, I mean, she was basically buried on a bad Dartmouth program for like the past three or four years. Uh, but she's got, she has the potential to score, you know, 10, 15 goals, you know, with Georgetown, um, you know, because she's going to be around superior talent, you know, with, and she did a lot by herself at Dartmouth. Uh, but I mean, you look at Julia Lease, uh, another player, I think is going to be in contention for one of the best center backs in the country. Ali Auger is pretty good in goal. I mean, I think, you know, overall, they just, they're loaded everywhere. Dave Nolan does always a great job of getting the most out of the talent there. Um, if you're looking for a team, um, and this is kind of a spoiler alert, but you know, if you're looking for a team outside of the "quote unquote" Power Five conferences that could make it to the College Cup, I think Georgetown is the team you're looking mm-hmm. at. Wow. Um, beyond them, it, it's really, really super close. I, I mean, I, I don't even think I can give you a top three just because I think it's so close. I think, you know, two through five, I have Xavier, Creighton, UConn, and Butler. Um, basically, you know, um, draw names out of a hat. Uh, yeah. I think Creighton. I think Creighton's a really interesting team i think if you're looking for a team that's gonna you know that could be potentially you know in, in in condition for a rise up the table i think it's them i think it's been it's been a slow building process i don't think anybody's gonna argue against that but um they've got a lot of really interesting talent there um it's a really nice little mix of um you know midwestern players but also some international talent as well um xavier is almost always good i think they're losing you know a, a little amount of talent which is why i have them so far down from georgetown you know molly mclaughlin in, in the center of midfield to big name to replace um and i think yukon and butler you know we're waiting for kind of yukon they, they've lost some um some, some pretty good attacking talent you know the transfer portal so it's going to be see how they respond and then butler you know, for me, Butler was pretty disappointing last year. I think they had, you know, with the talent they had, especially on offense, they should have been better. Um, so I think they've got a lot to prove as well. Um, but I think overall, I mean, if you look at this conference, basically from, from I would say, like two to seven, you know, it's going to be a really close race to see who makes that Big East tournament. Yeah, love it. Okay, let's uh, let's head over. Let me ask, um, let me ask oh, yeah, you one quick one on the Big yeah. East. Chris, has anyone benefited more from the COVID fifth year than Georgetown in terms of grad transfers? Anybody comparable to them in the country over the last few years? On, on a consistent basis, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, part of it is part of it is the COVID year. Part of it also is Georgetown is just a great school, great graduate program as well. But, you know, you got to credit the coaches there for, you know, being able to identify talent in the transfer portal and being able to attract them, you know, for, for a final year. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see like once we're beyond that COVID year, are they still going to be able to keep that pace up in terms of bringing, you know, those transfers in? Because I think, you know, it, it's given them a huge advantage in staying on top of the big East. Mm-hmm. Totally. All right. All right. Let's do the Ivy. Ivy. Um, 
one caveat uh with the ivy league yale has not posted their 2023 roster so i don't have them projected yet uh so i can't tell you anything about yale uh what i can tell you though is that harvard and brown are probably going to be at the top of the conference once again no surprise uh you know i think they basically dominated over the past half decade and, and i don't think there's anything there that's going to change that up um harvard they're almost kind of like they're almost kind of like texas in terms of they've got like um you know three or four players that everybody's going to be talking about you know they got hannah bbar jade rose uh both players who i think would be top five picks in the nwsl draft if they stay on these shores um and they've got josephine hasbo another great player uh you know they are doing an amazing job in recruiting um not just bringing in domestic talent but also international talent as well i think they've got a they're tapping into a fertile icelandic you know kind of market bringing in some players there who are already getting senior level caps uh but they lose five starters um and, and you know you know there's some questions you know how is hasbo going to be you know coming straight in from the world cup uh you know what's jade rose's health going to be like because she had to pull out of the women's world cup um you know via injury so you know it's interesting there but also you know their window is kind of narrowing a bit just because some of those players are going to be graduating and going pro soon so you know they need to make a move um i think brown you know their front line is is, is still astounding they're also kind of a situation where you know you know some of their frontline players their eligibility is kind of running out as well so they need to move, make a move as well, but I mean, they're really ahead of everybody else right now. And, you know, it's going to take something special to kind of dethrone them. Um, I know I said top three, but, you know, I think they're so far ahead that I think with sleepers, I'm going to go three and four, Columbia and Princeton. Um, I think they're solid overall. I mean, you know, really, really talented. I think, you know, they're both probably going to get double digit wins. It's just a, It's just a matter of, you know, do Columbia and Princeton have anybody that's going to be, you know, a top 20 draft in the NWSL? Because that's kind of the level of talent they're competing against with Harvard and Brown. I don't see it right now. I think they're solid teams overall. Uh, it really depends on, like, non-conference. You know, is the Ivy going to get more than two teams in? I would be shocked if Harvard and Brown don't make it. Uh, but I think Columbia and Princeton, solid. It's just, you know, are they going to be able to, you know, compete with the top two? Yeah, I mean, that, that league seems to stay very very similar year in and year out right like you said the last half decade harvard princeton yale i mean that's that's the group for sure and and harvard everybody you talk to talks about they're just loaded so um be really interesting anything with the ivies brian i know you love the ivies well i do love the ivies we had chris matt and i argue all the time i like smart kids and and matt's very anti-ivy it's there's something <laughs> something in his background that is that not really true that's that might be the, my sat uh, score my sat score might be the issue well <sighs> i actually watched harvard play south carolina maybe in the ncaa's last year and yeah. they are loaded with talent you know south carolina won the game but i'm not sure if you could switch rosters you wouldn't want to start with harvard's kids for sure um and w within all of that um, what do you what do you make of the Ivy scheduling, Chris? With you know they play fewer games. Uh, you think they're good schedulers, bad schedulers? Help them, hinder them? What do you think? I mean, it's kind of weird just because we see with the RPI, and you know Chris Thomas has done like a lot of you know look studies into it. You know, there's kind of a bias towards like East Coast teams as compared to like West Coast teams. Mm -hmm. um, and I think. I think the people making the selection decisions, they know of that bias. So I think it, it kind of hurts Ivy teams a little bit. Um, 
But I, I just think, you know, when you're basically starting a week later than everybody else, it really narrows kind of your window and in, in teams that will mm-hmm. schedule you. Um, but I also think it's it's kind of, it's almost like Harvard and Brown success may have hurt them a little bit just because I think, you know, some bubble teams may just not want to play them. Uh, you know, I mean, if, if you're a bubble team, you know, let's say like you're an ACC team middle of the road as ACC team, you know, ninth or 10th or somewhere that's going to be near the bubble, but also near the 500 cut line. Why are you going to play Harvard and Brown, yeah. you know, and potentially take a loss like that? Um, so I think a lot of that plays a role in it too. You know, you also have a situation where, um, you know, you know, they may not want to go for like a midweek game or a lot of midweek games just because they don't want to miss school. Uh, which I would, and I think the really interesting thing this year is, is um, this is the first year that the Ivy League has a conference tournament. Top four go oh, this wow. year. Um, you know, I think they play on on the on the final weekend that everybody plays. Um, you know, semifinals and finals. Uh, so I'm going to be really interested and in see how that changes the equation up. And one of the things they've done is that they basically taken one round of league games. Uh, and I think they play one game on Wednesday, one league game on Wednesday this year, because it used to be, um, you know, everybody played all their league games on Saturday. Um, and you just had the final like seven weeks, you know, basically on that Saturday, you play a league game. One of those league games is going to be on a Wednesday now. So it's going to be interesting to see how they respond to that. You know, do they schedule more aggressively, um, more conservatively, knowing that, you know, if you make that top four, you know, you've got a chance at least at, at the auto bid. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Let's go. Uh, last two WCC. Uh, so I think, you know, I think everybody in the WCC is breathing a sigh of relief with BYU <laughs> gone now. Um, you know, basically BYU just, just hammered everybody in this league, uh, you know, for the most part. Um, I think, I don't think there are a ton of surprises in the WCC. I mean, Santa Clara is my number one. Um, they're not number one by a lot, you know, I, I would say, you know, they lose a decent amount of talent. Um, I, I mean, I don't think they're going to be, you know, contention for a college cup, uh, but I do think they're the best of the field in the WCC, you know, Jerry Smith always gets, you know, the best out of that, out of that team. And uh, you know, in terms of consistently cranking out players that play, you know, at the next level, you know, Santa Clara is really, really good. Uh, I think, you know, and, and I always say this, you know, it might be Gonzaga's year, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting because, like, if you look at, you know, returning talent overall, I think Gonzaga, you know, in that measure, Gonzaga's number one in the WCC. Uh, I think they're a little behind Santa Clara in terms of recruiting, which is why I have them second. But um, they've got a lot of talent. It's just, you know, can they make that next step? And it seems like they're always one win short. Um, I think, like, last year at Texas, you know, they were in position for a little bit to beat Texas, but they just ended up, you know, not being able to close the deal out. Uh, it's just, I think if, if they get that one big result, I think it's basically going to break the dam and they're going to kind of be able to, you know, string together some big wins. Uh, but I will be very surprised if they are not at the very least in, in, in big contention for, um, an at large spot. Um, you, you look further down the order, um, I would say three through five are, are kind of my sleepers, you know, Portland three, um, one, one thing about my system is it's very conservative on teams that are, you know, just kind of coming up and that may have struggled for a while and then have a great breakthrough season, which is why they're number three. It's why they're so behind Santa Clara and Saga. Uh, you know, they were really, really good last year. It's just a case of, you know, can they maintain that level of play or do they regress to the mean a little bit? Um, 
you know, I, I, I would say, you know, they're going to be in contention for an at-large bid. I, I'm not sure they're going to match last year, though. Um, yeah. San Francisco, I think, is the team that's going to potentially be a surprise. I think they've got a couple of really good players. Um, you know, it's just I don't know if they have the kind of overall squad depth. Uh, but I think they're going to be, you know, this is probably going to be their best team in a while. And then Pepperdine, you know, I'm really conflicted about Pepperdine just because, you know, it always seems like they're very competitive. It's just I think they may be caught between generations at the moment. They've got Tatum Wijnaldum, who I think is is an exceptional player, you know, potential first round NBOSL player in a few years. But, um, you know, they lost a lot of talent as well. Um, so I think, you know, it may be a year of consolidation. I think, you know, they're going to upset somebody just because they always seem to do so. But you know, they may be, you know, kind of one of those teams that's really kind of towards the bubble, you know, in the WCC. Gotcha. All right, Brian, questions? Well, quick one on that. How many, if the WCC combined with the Pac-12, how many WCC teams would you see finishing top eight? Um, Let's see. Santa Clara, obviously. Um. And then I would say probably Gonzaga and Portland's kind of be, going to be kind of somewhere in the mix. Um, I don't think I don't think it would be a sure thing for top eight, but I think this year Gonzaga and Portland, um, you know, would be kind of in that mix for top eight. All right, interesting. All right, and last but not least, certainly not least, that's for sure, the AAC, the new look AAC, I might add. Yeah. So again, kind of the same caveat with the Big Twelve. Um, you know, I. Uh, it's basically a, a big guessing game just because you're bringing teams up from a lower tier. Um, so these are, are, are very kind of, you know, guesses. Uh, these are huge guesses as compared to some of the other conferences. I think Memphis is number one. I think they're clear they're number one in the AAC. Um, I don't know what happened to Memphis for like a lot of last season. Uh, but, you know, we saw in the postseason, you know, that was the real Memphis in the postseason. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was really their potential. Uh, and I think, you know, I think I think they're the best team by far, um, you know, in the AAC this year. Um, you know, they're loaded. They bring back most of their talent. You know, they're always going to score goals um, just because they they crank out, you know, the attacking talent there. So I think they're going to be the favorites by a fair distance. Um, I guess SMU and South Florida are kind of the, the number two and number three. Um, you know, I think SMU is kind of a program that's, you know, They've had they've had like a lot of talent over the years. I think it's just a question of well, you know, what's going to be there for them to take the next step. Uh, and I, I think they're at a program in flux because you know they're rumored now to potentially be going to the ACC. <laughs> uh, so you know, I, I think they're going to be really good. You know, I don't know if the AAC is going to be a multi bid conference this year. I don't know how everything's going to shake out, but I think they'll be in the mix. And South Florida. Um, you know, I think South Florida is going to be formidable, you know, in terms of their top line talent, but they lose a lot. I think they lose, um, you know, six starters, um, which I think is close to, you know, most everybody in the league uh, or close to the highest in the league. So I don't really know if they're going to be able to compete with the top two. Um, I think losing Kiara Holland, who went to the pros after a couple of years, is a big blow for them just because she was really good in center of, mid center of midfield. But it's also hard to kind of evaluate South Florida just because they have, you know, international players that seemingly pop up. Um, that nobody knows a ton about that end up doing really, really well. So, you know, South Florida, I think, I think they may be a little bit inconsistent, but I think they've got a lot of potential. If you're looking for a sleeper and a team, you know, coming up from CUSA that could, could, um, you know, maybe upset the apple cart a little bit in the first year, I think UAB is that team. They return 10 starters. Um, 
you know, which is the most in the conference, uh, you know, and it's not just 10 starters from a team that didn't compete. They were really, really good at TUSA for the past few years. So I think, you know, they've got a great shot at, I don't know if competing with Memphis, you know, for a title, but I think, you know, you look at a team that could be dangerous, you know, in the conference tournament, I think it's them. Uh, I think, you know, what I would say in terms of this conference, uh, I think, you know, Brian might be shooting daggers through me after thinking projections, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of the conference of bad timing, just because I think, you know, you look at Rice and Florida Atlantic, you say, oh my God, how in the world are they so low in these projections? It's just a case of, well, they lost so much talent, you know, over, over this year. If you would put Rice and Florida Atlantic, you know, in this conference last year, I think they're in the top half of the conference pretty easily. Um, it's just a case of, you know, they lost a ton of talent, you know, mm-hmm. that they had over the off season. I think strong recruiting rate, strong recruiting base, good coaching. Uh, you know, I think they'll be back. It's just a question of, well, new conference, uh, you know, a lot of new players, you know, how fast are they going to be able to adjust and, you know, how competitive are they going to be in that first year? Yeah, no, I agree with you. A lot of good players. I don't know about the coaching, but a lot of good players coming <laughs> in for sure. And young players, coach Lee will get them going. There's no doubt in my mind. All right, a couple more questions, Chris. We'll get you out of here. Um, what league do you think of those nine has the most parity? Uh, most parity. Um, I think it's kind of weird because, you know, you, you're kind of looking at, well, the entire league. I think I'll say this. In terms of top four parity, uh, between the top four teams, I would say the Big 12. Um in terms of top eight parity, I would probably say the SEC um, and the ACC. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, unfortunately, probably left us right now. And, and you know, yeah. Duke is basically ninth in my projection of the ACC. But, you know, when you look at, um, you know, my overall ranking of everybody in the top five conferences, I think they're somewhere like in the mid-20s. Yeah. You know, so you basically have like the top 10 ACC teams kind of in, in you know, top 25 you know overall sure um so i think you know top eight parity acc and sec um but top four parity you know you're probably looking at the big 12 like that okay what about uh what league for you when you do all this stuff is the most intriguing um most intriguing um i just say the acc i mean it's just it's just the most talent you know, it's, it's, you know, I, because I, I watched a lot of this with an eye towards the NWSL as well. And I mean, sure. Um, I feel like I could get on a rant here about everybody denigrating the college system after the women's world cup. Um, but I mean, you know, the college system, it still produces a lot of great talent. And I think the ACC, you know, it, it's, it's, it's never been more loaded. Uh, yeah. you, know, you look at players like Michelle Cooper and, and Corbin Albert going pro after a couple of years. Uh, I think it's 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 super intriguing too because I think you're you're going to get a good game. You're going to get a, a hard fought game pretty much out of everybody in the conference. You know, there's I don't think there's really a lot of easy wins there. Um, and I think it's you know I think it helps too that you have the ACC network where you can basically watch all of this stuff on on TV. And I think it's yeah. a super intriguing year league, not just this year but really every year. Yeah. No, it, it, they roll it over every year. It is impressive. All right, a couple other questions. Um, do you have a team that we didn't mention in these Power Nine that's a sleeper that could make a run, maybe not to the Final Four, but could make a run maybe into a top 10 team, um, somebody that's not in one of these Power Nine conferences? Yeah, um, 
I'll give you two. I'll give you an option that I don't think it's going to be, um, you know, a top 25 team, but I think it's going to be, you know, somebody that could potentially shock everybody in making the NCAA tournament. That's Towson. The Towson Tigers and CAA. Uh, they have a shocking amount of attacking talent. Uh, you know, like Nia Christopher. Um, they're re they, they really have like four or five players that could potentially play pro. I'm not saying in, in the NWSL, but they're probably going to be playing somewhere professionally. Um, it's just a question of, well, one, they don't have a really, really great non-conference schedule, so I don't think they're going to compete for an at-large bid. Uh, and then, yeah, they make that next step. But I think they're a team that I think could be really exciting uh, and really one to watch. If you're looking for a team that could, um, you know, potentially make a top 10 run, uh, it's not a surprise, but I think St. Louis. Uh, you know, it's yeah. it's we, we say it every year, but I mean, it's, it's the talent, like you said, with with the ACC, it just keeps rolling over. Um, and I think the thing, too, is, you know, St. Louis, they're probably going to be a little bit angry this year with losing the first round last year uh, and probably with people basically saying, oh, well, why in the world did this team get, you know, a, a top two seed when they basically lost in the first round? So I think they've got something to prove. I think they've got a chip on the shoulder. Uh, and sometimes, sometimes you basically have to, you know, take that step back to kind of take a step forward. I don't know if they're going to get a top two seed this year, but if you're basically saying to me sometime in November, well, you know, St. Louis won a couple of games in the NCAA tournament, I'm not going to be surprised. They've, they've got talent all over the place, and they're and they're really well coached. Yeah, I like it. All right, last one. All right, before four. we get to that, oh yeah, the, uh, on on the Towson prediction and all their their good attacking players. You know, their Twitter and Instagram has just blown up from new will blow up after this podcast from numerous sites <laughs> around the Southeast looking toward the 2024 transfer portal. Yeah. Why the yeah. Southeast, uh, Brian? Why say the Southeast? I don't know. I just, you draw your own conclusions. We, I we believe the girl from Quinnipiac went to Penn State. Thank you very much. The girl from <laughs> Quinnipiac went to Penn State. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's go with, um, your, all right, final four prediction and then a champion. All right, so um, I think the final four will be composed of four of the seven teams. Uh, so I'm going to give you teams five through seven that I think have the potential to make it there, but I'm just going to fall a little bit short. Uh, I think Georgetown, Virginia, Rutgers. Um, I think they're going to be in the Elite Eight. I don't know who the, the eighth team is going to be in that Elite Eight. You know, there's probably like a group of, you know, 10, 15 teams that, that it could be. But I think Rutgers, Virginia, Georgetown, you know, decent bets to make it to the quarterfinals, at least. My final four, uh, Florida State, uh, you know, great returning talent, top rate rated uh, transfer class, uh, well coached. Uh, they're loaded. UCLA, basically return ton of talent. I think, you know, the question is in goal, um, but they've got a great, they, they've got great prospects in goal as well. So, uh, I think they've got a great chance of repeating North Carolina. Um, you know, I think a lot depends on, on how well their, their freshman class comes in and, and competes, you know, great potential on paper. It's just how well do they gel with everybody else? You know, and, and also is Macy Bell going to be healthy for the entire year because she's a huge difference maker. And then Stanford, um, you know, I think Stanford, um, you know, just, just outstanding all the way around. Um, you know, and I think, you know, getting Kitahata and, and, um, and getting, um, Ali Montoya back for the whole year is going to be a big help. Um, my champion pick, yeah. uh, 
I feel a little weird because, you know, they're not my number one rated team overall in kind of the metrics, but I'm going to go against the metrics. I think it's going to be a big bash end for the Pac-12. I think Stanford is going to beat UCLA in the final. Wow. Wow. Like it. Like it. Like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard not to see UCLA. Uh, I mean, again, we know it's hard to repeat really hard, right? But boy, they, they are well coached and loaded and have this spirit that is really impressive. So that would be that would be interesting. I apologize in advance to Stanford for, for putting the hex on them. Uh, <laughs> them there you go. All right, Chris. Listen, we will check in with you again. Obviously, probably, you know, I, I would think probably as conference play kicks up here in a you know a month, I guess, or so, maybe a little over a month. Um, but we always appreciate your work, your 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 um research and your um you know the way you can rattle off the names is unbelievable i'd like to take you recruiting with me uh to help me help me with the names but it's really really impressive as always we appreciate you we'll be in touch soon and again if you're not following him on twitter you're missing it um is he uh he has all the good stuff when it comes to college soccer so college soccer hey, i Nation, really appreciate your uh, attention yeah frank go ahead if you're a college soccer coach who tells people i don't follow chris henderson uh, you're you're just a liar. You're lying. Every, every you're lying. You're lying. Yep, absolutely. Reads it every day. So yep. you do a great that's job, Chris. Fantastic. Yes, really a big deal for college women's soccer. What you do, we appreciate yep. it. Awesome. Thank you a lot. All right. All right, man. No problem. We'll have we'll uh, we will be in touch soon and enjoy certainly the uh, the non conference games coming at us quick. All right, Brian. There it is. Our Power Nine preview with a couple other sleepers. Townsend, huh? I, I think it's pronounced Townsend. Townsend? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's my Oklahoma. Uh, you know, those kids, slur. Chris just made those kids some NIL. <laughs> That's great. Would have known had he not what do you think? Up. You think the Stanford Cardinals got it in them to come back? Is um, prediction? I mean, I think if your year to year guess is Stanford, UCLA, one of those two wins a national <laughs> championship. You're all right. You're in the yeah. mix. And, I mean, but, it's a pretty amazing in our sport how it's, you know, he's talking Florida State again. Uh, you know, they do have a great transfer class. There's no doubt about it. So um, it'll be that'll be interesting. You know, now it's it's a, two years away from Mark, and we all know Brian's a great coach. Um, you know, but that that is a, that's hard to continue to do what they've done um, there at Florida State. But uh, and especially with all this conference realignment stuff. So. Kind of crazy, but um, we're I think we're it. That's it. Let's uh, good luck to everybody this week playing. Good luck to start your season. Hope you're staying healthy. Uh, we uh, obviously appreciate you listening. We so enjoy doing this. We are gonna try and get on a weekly, a weekly run here. But for uh, for this for this day, as we start into the college season, college soccer nation is out. <laughs> <laughs>